Yes, sir. yes, sir. The man wanted to ride. What did he do? Swing down, sweet jazz. If you feeling my vibe, then we can all just ride. If you want to get down, then we can all just ride. All my people, throw your hands up high and just ride. Where you're from, east side to west side, just ride. All my people from uptown to downtown. From Cali to NY, you know we all. From the Florida Key to DP, just Hey, Ryan. How you doing? Doing good, Jason. How are you? Doing all right. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Bay Heights Pod. If you want to reach us, please feel free to tag, to drop us a line at bayheightspod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at bayheightspod. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, so, Is that what we're doing? We're calling it the Bay Heights Pod for short instead of podcast? Oh, sorry. I just uh, You're right. Um, I don't know. I just The handles we have are Bay Heights Pod. Um, oh right, the handles. But you're that's right. Where, that's where the brain. No, that's why their brains are the operation. I don't. <laughs> for whatever reason, when you say Bay Heights Pod, I'm thinking like of a uh, grow ops in my basement. You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, you know, that guy down the corner, Bay Heights okay. Pod guy. I'm like, okay, no, that's good though. Thanks for reminding me about our about our handles. Yeah, it definitely is Bay Heights Pod. Hey, I got a question. Like, I mean, I, I myself was not one to partake, but like. In because uh, I've been outside Canada for several years, not that you mention it. Like, in you, when you go to the LCBO or like shoppers, like, do you just see cannabis and cannabis like uh, products? No, no, or? not at all. And and oh, okay. and so for those keeping score, um, Jason and I grew up in Oakville, Ontario, Canada, which is what fifteen miles west of Toronto. Yeah. So Oakville, our little charm status town of Oakville um they opted out of the federal program for for legalization of cannabis oh, um okay. yeah like they um yeah really interesting it's like the most oakville thing ever <laughs> um so no it's not as they're not really controlling it like you would think in the lcbo basically you get licensed first of all you get a lottery and then so mississauga i think i don't know how many licenses they gave out but let's just say that you know we're only talking a handful per city, right? Okay. And then those who apply get the license, and then they can open up their little cannabis store and, okay. you know, meet um, meet guidelines. But no, they're not. They're not making it kind of a government controlled. Um, okay. So like 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 the LCBO, like the beer store. No, not yet. Anyways. So and it's actually the avenue private, they. Private establishments. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's private establishments with licenses, correct. Okay. Now you're able to sell pretty much all the accessories that go with it and all the okay. different vapes and all that stuff. Okay. Um yeah, I'm not too I'm not too sure, but I just know that Oakville opted out. It was pretty um controversial. You no, know, it's like well, I mean, the rest of the country's doing it and you're opting okay. out. Like, what are you what are you waiting for, right? Again, and it was pretty made for a pretty interesting council meeting all these people came up oh my constituents are concerned you know the same stuff you and i grew up with saying okay, okay. it's the gate it's the gateway drug it leads to crime it leads okay. to all this just these antiquated ronald reagan okay. war on drug shit that uh um, okay, okay. that oakville decided to um i mean i'm not giving my I'm not giving anything away i'm just i'm just echo echoing what um what the rest of the country and and seemingly in north america as well i mean it's it's only going to put it this way whether you like it or not the change is coming so okay. why stifle the change right and um, okay. i think they're going to readdress it this year so yep that's um that's what's happening with oakville did uh so but now like 
people from Oakville, I mean, like just for reference points for everybody, like, oh, I mean, yeah. we talk about government uh, run liquor stores yeah. in Ontario. It's run by the the store, the beer store and the LCBO, which sells liquor, like those two types of stores. They sell all the alcohol in Ontario for anybody who's not from there. Whereas like outside of Ontario, just differs. By well, you know, our grocery stores do now as well, right? Oh, okay. So, I mean, that's okay. That's interesting. Okay. So, 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 so that's, that's the thing We're we're, we're graduating in some processes and okay. stifling in others, but it's so funny. You mentioned that. Yes, you can literally go to the next town and get all your cannabis needs, or there's this thing called the internet where you can order it as well. So okay. it's really not, I mean, if you need your fix, you're going to get it. You're going to get your CBD oils. You're going to okay. get all that. Um, there's really no stopping it. it. It's it's here. It's just um, yes, I guess in terms of brick and mortar stores, um, the town of Oakville, yeah, is not selling it as we speak. Okay. But the people of Oakville can just drive to Mississauga, procure what they want, exactly, and or do it from their computer or smartphone. I'm sure it's okay. But are they? Is um, the, uh, is it illegal for them to consume, use in Oakville then and not in like, do they have to be outside the town boundaries or? I'm not sure. No, everything. So that, that decriminalization is Canada wide. Okay. 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 Yeah. We're just talking the sale. We're just talking the sale of it. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, no, Mm -hmm. I I was just curious when you brought it up because it, uh, like, it's funny. I guess a lot of the people I keep in touch with on a regular basis, they've actually themselves left Canada. So it just, uh, I didn't know. I didn't I don't know. I just thought of it now, just when you mentioned it. Interesting. Okay. Um, quite, quite widespread here, obviously in California. Um, oh yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't partake myself. So, um, what we wanted to dive into was, um, uh, like it had come up during the, the Raptors, the top 25 Raptors podcast, I, I had Charles Oakley on my list and somewhere on the list. And I made him, one of the points I highlighted was he was a locker room guy, you know, like he was just mm-hmm. applauded. And you made a comment like, well, I wasn't in the locker room and I don't really value that as much because, you know, other guys, the antithesis to that is like kind of the troublemaker in the locker room who like, like that, that, that's a, that means that that's a black mark on that guy, but we've seen that work. That's what you'd said. And I think I wanted to like, just dive into that a bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so what do you um, like, tell me your take on this, because like, for me, I guess I value, I valued that the the locker room, the, the uh, like, that a guy being a good chemistry guy in the locker room, bringing people together, espousing leadership. Okay. So I think first and foremost, I would have to be shown a case where say a team that was destined for championship or destined for greatness didn't because um, they had, you know, bad juju, as you say, in, in the okay. locker room. Maybe they didn't partake in recreational drugs as <laughs> some sort of bonding exercise, right? They did other things. So, um, so, but, but, but knowing full well that that has happened, right? Um, okay. You know, it's funny you mentioned Matt Sundin and, and the Maple Leafs. So okay. I'm not sure if you knew about this, but when Alexander McGillney joined the Maple Leafs, um, I don't think this has been quite publicized like the worst kept secret in toronto but you know toronto is now it's pretty you know 
sports media now and TMZ. It's, it's pretty salacious. They would report on this now, but probably <laughs> not back then. But but basically, the rumor was was that Shane Corson um, procured Alexander McGillney's wife, and that caused a mutiny in the locker room. And he, I think Matt Sundin had to kind of yeah. I don't know if you knew about that. No, you mean like like he seduced her? Is that what you're saying? Jason, I wasn't there for the okay. um, for, for oh, what okay. happened those okay. those even. But yes, needless to say, Shane Corson was able to. Um, okay. He caught he caught McGillney pulling his goalie and went in there for the uh, for the shot on shot on the empty net. They're so, not yeah, I mean close in age, right? Because McGillney, I mean, I know the name from a guy when I was a kid, and Shane Corson, I've never heard of. So I'm guessing that those guys are not even close in age, right? Oh, they are close in age. Yeah, yeah. They're oh, okay. 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 Yeah, close enough, and when it's end of the day we're talking about the wife right so she's the one that um yeah really okay. so anyway so the bottom line is it was it was uh, and, and to be honest those leafs teams the ones that you don't remember were actually were pretty good they were stanley cup contenders in my opinion um and it took a moment like that to really yeah i mean shane corson played some really good years for toronto and mcgillney just joined the leafs and you know it was we were toronto was establishing its core and then its core kind of had to be you know we kind of had to shane corson was known as quote a locker room guy and he was a gritty player he was um he was a defensive special (laughs) okay is it so that did that did just say that again is he a locker room guy? Like, I mean, that's not what I'm thinking. Oh, he's definitely, oh, he's he's definitely a locker room and, and an after party guy as well. He's definitely a locker room guy. Maybe maybe yeah. maybe too close of a locker room. Just you know, I mean, was that Paul Heyman line? It was. Remember that Paul Heyman line? Edge, uh, you know. Speaking of wives, don't bring your wives. It's it's Edge, oh, everyone. Okay. So, yeah. So it was. So no, I mean Shane Corson was known to be. Yeah, a locker room guy. Until... Well, that's not. But no, then he's not a locker room guy. That's the whole point, though, right? So, so like. Okay, so he was okay. <clears throat> My premise is is that good teams are good teams, and the lack of personalities and characters really won't disrupt a team, except when you bring wives into the occasion. So basically, anything south of that shouldn't really do anything because okay. we've seen and 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 I'm sure Kevin Durant and Draymond Green cannot stand to be in the same room with each other um you know Kevin Durant apparently would stay stuff in practice and stay stuff in the locker room and Draymond Green would just you know STFU and all this stuff and yet Draymond Green on the basketball court would take a bullet if it meant giving Kevin Durant another wide open shot, right? So that whatever happened, whatever whatever their personality and styles clash were, it did not translate to games lost. No, but that's not and that, that and that and that's my premise. And that's my premise. No, but I disagree with the premise because, like, that's not type of tension we're talking about, right? Like, they teams can, teammates can disagree on stuff, and that's fine. We're talking about like you know the Indiana Pacers. You remember the the Roy Hibbert Indiana Pacers? There's some selfish dudes in here. Mm-hmm. He tweeted that out. They went from like the first place team somehow, and they started just bottoming out through that season. We never knew what happened to that team where it just it fell apart. And chemistry was the thing. Like they just sort of fell out of favor with each other. And then they so we think so we think, but but 
I would argue that talent was their thing. They were never, they could have had the best chemistry in the world. They were really talented. What are you talking about? They, they were the conference finalists against LeBron a bunch. They had even had the lead. Like they could have beaten the Heat. They were, they were like, a except first- they, except they didn't. Right. So, in- well, that's the whole point. Right? They're, they're okay. So, so, so I'm, I'm, what I'm arguing is that give me, give me the team with, with some talent and the best locker room guys and give me uh, give me the deplorables, but guys who just put up stats and put up numbers and have all the talent and athleticism in the world. <clears throat> Monte Ellis. In other, words, give, give, in other words, give me the chaotic locker room, but the guys okay. that were born to win. And okay. my, my, what I'm arguing against is, you know, when you put Charles Oakley on there because you said, oh, well, he was good for Vince. Well, we don't know if he was good for Vince. We don't know if he was good for Tracy McGrady. We don't know if he was good for Alvin Williams. For all we know, old man Oakley would come and, because I saw games where he was dribbling from half court on when he should have passed as soon as he got the ball. You know, and I saw instances where he was a detriment to that team. And my whole thing is, since we don't have, um, since we don't have the clarity of 2020 vision of how important these things are, um, I'm relying on the fact that due to the lack of evidence, I'm saying that it's just probably a wash, right? Locker room guys, not locker room guys. I, I really don't think it it amounts to what plus. In other words, take your Indiana Pacers since you brought that up, and say they did have team chemistry. You think that that team chemistry would have beat those Miami Heat teams yeah. those years. Yeah. They okay. actually Well that's that's I am I'm not I, they, I would never I would never go for that sure. Far. But they could have. They could have. They were a threat. But but but, but they could have but we know they could have because they were competitive. You know who they lost as a locker room guy that that kind of maybe changed the dynamic of that team is what some people think? Danny Granger. They traded that guy away and uh yeah, he was a good guy. He was a, he was a leadership guy. Um mm. you have Okay, do you remember the Denver Nuggets under George Kyle with Carmelo Anthony and Allen Iverson and J.R. Smith and Dante Jones? Yeah. Like, that team had a lot of talent, but yep. they just were not they – they were not championship-bound until Chauncey Billups showed up and showed guys how they got to conduct themselves and be professional. That's how it was. And then they made it to the Western Conference Finals. And they actually were really... Didn't, didn't he also show them the, the PED program as well? well the magic to... sauce? Who'd well, you... I mean, George Carl, George Carl famously, you know, retired from basketball because he, you know, he couldn't, you know, he was, he was sick and tired of people calling NBA clean sport. And then, anyways, we can dive into PED protocols another day. But, <clears throat> yeah, I, I get what you mean. And listen, I... So... When people ask me who are my favorite players, I, I like both the divas and the no nonsense guys. For every Chauncey Billups and Kawhi Leonard's, you know, stoic, just guys who just mind their business, mind their P's and Q's, go out there and execute plays. Um, I could watch those guys all day, and I could also watch, you know, Houston Rockets with um, with Russell and and Harden all day as well, right? So, um, I'm. I'm for quote unquote locker room guys. I just question how valuable they really are at the end of the day. Because if we're only talking percentages between wins and losses, I still don't think that 
chemistry is a big enough intangible to get teams okay. over the hill. You know who uh, would have, has historically agreed with you is Daryl Morey. So his his viewpoint was, you know, he just he focuses on the analytics and like for him and he and he's a little less Alexander, the former owner, who was like a, I think he might have been mm-hmm. an orchestrator. Like that's kind of the culture of the organization, right? It's just transactional. It's just we're building a, a, an organization and we're going to be very disciplined and scientific about it. And that's how, so the way you build a company, like a, say if it's a startup, it's how you would build this team. It's no different. It's how his viewpoint was. Then when it came to um, like later years, when they had like Chris Paul and James and, and uh, or it's Dwight and James, like when they were really, really good and a championship contender, not just like the team he joined where it was like kind of maybe a first round team at, at best. So then he's, then he was asked again recently in the last year or so. And he's like, okay, like he, he might be, examining that view where it's it's like at the his viewpoint is a bit more like this on the whole he still holds to the line that you said which is yeah like we're building a team it doesn't really matter that much but at the margins where now you're actually really really good and now you're talking about the cream of the crop that's kind of where it makes it might make a difference now you're not just trying to trying to just get into the playoffs and do well and win regular seasons. Now you're actually trying to be that team that can win seven games in the finals. Then that's where it might end up making a difference is what he was saying. I'm just trying to think of, um, I'm just trying to think of game ending plays, right? What, okay. what makes a team win a seven game series. So, okay. Say if a team's up three. So, 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 so what, what, what good is, so what good did Charles Oakley do? Okay. When Vince missed that shot against okay. Philadelphia. Okay. If that is your criteria, then, then there's mm-hmm. an argument, right? My criteria was for, let's say, I mean, by the way, that shot he could have that he missed, he could have made that shot too, right? And in another world, he, he would have made that shot. Like another, another world, maybe, maybe one more attempt. Of course. One more attempt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He mm-hmm. makes that absolutely. shot. The absolutely. Way I'm viewing it is that a guy and maybe Trey Young will have like been blossomed to be this really great player in the future, which I'm not seeing it now, to be honest. But when you, he looks back, he'll be like, well, you know, like looking back, I see what I learned from Vince. Like Vince was this great locker room guy. And I learned from him when I was a rookie and it set the tone for me in my career. Right. Which is kind of like what Steve Nash was for Dirk. And it's not about that final play. You're right. Like those guys can't help them in the final play, but night in night out because the thing is the grind of you you're talking about on the court but being a basketball player it's sort of like any other job it's like like where you have all these other obligations and all these other things you have to deal with on, on and off the court and for you to be at the top of your game in that 48 minutes on that hardwood you have to be like level-headed you've got to be doing everything the right way conducting yourself the right way staying on the right edge and there are veterans who are really like strong and solid guys who can help young guys show them like, okay, guys, like you gotta be on time to practice. Like I remember Shaq in Boston, he was just giving a lecture to some guy who showed up a few minutes late. He's like, guys, he's like, you are the whatever pick. He's like, you don't show up just like five minutes before practice. You gotta show up like 30 minutes before. Like that's how it works, right? And and where he was giving some kind of lecture. And then it's like, okay, guys, like night before the game, you don't go out clubbing and it's like you get your naps in or it's like this is how you talk to the media because it's like it's a mental thing too, a grind of 82 
like 10 months of the year, they're kind of in and out of the media sessions. They're talking to agents they're talking to PR reps. So it's like, when you're doing all that, like it's going to affect your game potentially. And if you have strong veteran guys who kind of help you guide, guide you along the way, it'll make a difference. And so that's why like when Vince kind of shows up to the Hawks office and he says, when he signs with the team, he goes, says to the general manager, cause he's basically talking to his peers now. He's so old. Like he's, he's just like, okay, who do you, like, who on the team do you want me to go talk to? And then it sets the tone. He's like, he's mm-hmm. sort of cozy up to those young guys and lead them along the way. And so yeah. that's what I'm getting at. You know, uh, Joe Ingles, um, he's like an ear to uh, Donovan Mitchell, right? He's helping because he knows Joe Ingles has a wealth of knowledge from his own experience. Donovan Mitchell is the raw talent who's like a savant. And so he's just like, hey, look, look for this play, look for that, look for that. And then Donovan can execute it, right? He's a bit like mm-hmm. Teddy. He's like, caddy on it for a golfer so like um that's on the court right and then you'll just hear this time and time again like off like from players if you, you hear them do their your talks about like what it means to be off the court right so i think that that stuff that stuff matters yeah that's why i think it matters. That stuff stuff definitely matters i guess we just disagree on on the priority well the wins and losses and okay um okay you know how much yeah so i'll give you another example of um of what I don't like hearing. And that's, that's the retroactive um, stuff, right? So for example, um, um, a team is good all year round. And then when they lose, oh, now we're going to bring up team chemistry, right? Can't stand that. Um, perfect example is here in, here in Toronto, um, the 2016 Jays. Okay. Um, yeah, that was the famous uh, playoff run. The Jays acquire uh, David Price. And Jays are just making an incredible run. The fans are just coming back to the uh, Sky Dome, Rogers Center, and it, what a buzz it was for that for that playoff stretch. And Jays end up well; they had a really great series against Texas with Bautista and the and the bat flip. <laughs> That's right. And, and then they get, and they, but they get eliminated. They get eliminated in the ALCS okay. against uh, Kansas City, and it just. It ended the way it did. It ended with, I think, Ben Revere striking out and then Josh Donaldson um, ending the game, pop, fly, fly out, whatever. Immediately after, maybe not immediately, but in, in the ensuing days, it was all about how the Spanish players never talked to the American players and Jose <laughs> Bautista somehow was the, was because he was the most bilingual. Okay. It was on him somehow to... It was his responsibility to um, indulge everyone in this kumbaya moment, and he got—I wouldn't say he got the brunt of it, but apparently it was—it was like that was his responsibility for making sure that team chemistry was was at an all-time high because he was—he was the bridge between the, uh, the 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 Latin players and, and the non-Latin, and it was just—and they try, and some writers tried to well, <laughs> I mean, team chemistry, right? I mean, that's why we didn't beat Kansas City. Like, come on. So I guess I guess I agree with everything that you say. I'm just talking about the really lazy headlines. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Right? The, 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 the lazy talking points and the ones that try and say the, the hogwash that they did. It's So it's – if you're going to make everything about team chemistry and um, – and and make that the prevailing wisdom of why a team didn't win because you hear it all the time right oh i would have won if this this and that happened or or we would have yes we would have beaten the miami heat of 2012 if we just got along better <laughs> i mean it, it does kind of sound even you might be right jason maybe maybe these guys did share steam rooms 
together once in a while, went on team building exercises, maybe did an Aon Hewitt uh, engagement survey once in a while. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that would have translated in, you know, increased engagement scores and they might have, you know, beaten the Miami. I don't know, but <laughs> we're talking a pretty damn impressive Miami Heat team. And what I'm trying to say is that, like, some teams are just meant to win championships. And I really don't think that anything was stopping that team whether it was the best version of the Pacers or, or not. I I mean, we could dissect the whole Heatles era at another time. I, I do think that the the Pacers with Paul George and uh, Lance, peak Lance, and the Chicago Bulls with Derek and, uh, and uh, Joe Kim, like I think that uh, those two teams, they were actually really good. They were more complete. I mean, you they know, were. Yeah, I, they were really good teams. And, yeah. Uh, I do, yeah. I, I do kind of think that there was, there was a because yeah, yeah, I found it. Yeah, Indiana took a two-one lead after Chris Bosh. Okay, Chris Bosh was sidelined or whatever at one point. But the point is, is like the pace. The, like there was, they were definitely more competitive uh, than the, the the Raptors ever were against LeBron. That's for sure. Um, for sure. But uh, but anyway, well, I, uh, yeah, yeah. No, you and 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 you're right though, and it just speaks to how good the Miami Heat team were that they beat those two teams. And I think when people, and that's the thing, right? I think people sleep on, um, they sleep on a lot of these teams. I think it's safe to say that looking at the last dance, I I really don't think that (laughs) the Bulls had that tough of opposition, even though some teams did force them in the game sevens. I just, I never saw Indiana on their level. I never saw New York on their level. Yeah, they weren't. But they really weren't. no, they weren't. They weren't even yeah. close. And yet, you're right. Some of the teams that Miami had to beat, some of the teams that the Warriors had to beat, some of the teams that the, the LeBron Cavs had to beat, really good teams. And and they just to assume that those guys had this easy road to paradise is um, it's misleading because they they did have to beat some tough teams and tough some tough teams that had. Just yeah. great players, and it just wasn't their time. They were, they were, they were, they were, they were in the wrong era, right? Okay. I uh, okay. Um, no, I think I think you. I think I uh, hear a bunch of what you're saying. I think I think we're we are pretty much thinking the same thing. I know what you're getting at. I'm I'm not a fan of reductionist, lazy journalism. Um, it's one of the big. You know what though? Like when it comes to just sports journalism, like that, it just. That might be a separate podcast too, which is just like there are some really good writers like Kirk Goldsberry, who has a Harvard degree in geography, and he worked in analytics with the Spurs. And and uh, I'm trying to think who else is really good, but like a lot of these guys, like they just they're not they're not that deep. So I, I can understand how these guys come up with really just sort of lame, simple like analogies and stories when they want to run with something like what you described with Jose Bautista, like. A lot of these guys are just like they don't they, they're not they're covering sports right they're not um like they're not they're the they, they, they love and that's also maybe they too they they think that we're all dumb they think the sports fans are dumb and they just they can't go too complex with them so that's a bit of a well they're not but. well they're not they're not too far off I think it's a combination <laughs> of I think I think sports fans are dumb for the most part <laughs> because as like we've described earlier, I mean, I'll go to a live basketball game and you know, <laughs> to see to see these fans so in tune with the game and what they're happening and 
and just fall for this clickbait. There's a reason why there is such a thing as clickbait, right? There's a reason why people will tune into um, Stephen A and Skip and Colin Coward and click on these BR articles and yeah, and, and then recite them, right? But so here in Canada, here in Toronto, yeah, I mean, I, I do like Michael Grange and, and Doug Smith. Um, okay. And, and kind of all the TV guys. Yeah, I, I like all the TV guys, you know, Sherman Hamilton and... No, um, I don't like them. Keep going. Oh, you don't like him? Well, I bumped into well, shouts out to Sherman Hamilton. I bumped into him twice at an airport, believe it or not. Okay. I'm sure he's um, like four years, four years apart, and uh, dude's a class act. I actually follow him on Twitter. I think, um, I actually don't think he's been given a, a, a fair enough shot, believe it or not. Okay. Um, okay. I think he's just kind of been the TV guy, but um, okay. yeah. So maybe we should maybe we should do a better job of summarizing our points in the end. Just okay. What are what what do locker room guys do and what do locker room guys what do they do and what don't they do okay i'll, I'll let you go first a little bit the greatest value okay. add for the locker room guy is to be the you could almost whether you i don't know what the right term would be whether it's big brother father figure guidance counselor to help he they would be like the mr belding of the locker room to help steer like where I thought you were going to say George Michael, you know, father George figure. Michael. George Michael is Jason. Uh, you're you are killing us, Jason. <laughs> Wham, George Michael, careless whisper, father figure. Sorry, I do not know. <laughs> <sighs> Go on. Well, like just this guy who can be put their arm around the younger players. Or if it's just the whole team, like on the Houston Rockets with T-Mac, like Chuck Hayes was that leadership guy. Somebody has to lead the huddle. Somebody has to sort of bring guys along. It's not always the best player. Sometimes the best players are too young to really be able to do that. Somebody who sort of sets the direction, sets the example that people are going to follow in that team. And then the other guys will meet that, meet their kind of follow that lead and sort of hit those, uh, Hit those milestones that they need to become great. Okay. Yeah. I think that's what a locker room um, is. I think locker room guys are the designated driver and the guy that <laughs> always gets the frappuccino. Kidding, of course. Okay. Um, no, okay. Let, let, me, let me think what I think a locker room guy is. I think the locker room guy is a guy that's maybe been there and done that or hasn't quite done that, but maybe is teetering on hall of fame consideration but maybe not quite there maybe has made a couple of um deep playoff runs maybe been a part of a championship team never ever the focal point of any team but maybe had an exciting college career and is good enough at the sport but maybe not good enough to lead a team or just not at that time you know but he's the humbler. In other words, or a team might be having a diva moment. Correct. So maybe maybe when a, a current star or 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 two stars in the team are having kind of their diva moments, this locker room guy can either like motherfuck them in front of everyone just to kind of you know send them down a couple notches, or maybe when they're at their worst. Because as we know, you know these guys are. Maybe someone was able to put their arm around. Tristan yeah. Thompson and be like, hey, bro, it's it's actually going to get better from here, right? Don't worry about it. It, it gets better. 
You know, yeah. in the eighties, if we had smartphones, we'd all be toast too, right? I mean, <laughs> who knows who put their arm around Tristan yeah. Thompson um to be that presence in his life you know, in an NBA setting. And maybe that does help out with okay. maybe that does translate into wins and losses at the end of the year. But yeah. um yeah. So I, I think I think you're right. Value add, they they absolutely do that for a team. I don't think you can have. The, I mean, there's reasons why no no team is comprised of just players under 23 years old. I mean, those guys don't win championships. You need you need you need a mixture. Yeah, you need a tough. mixture of exactly. Um, I don't know what the youngest team ever to win NBA championship, but I I, I can't imagine that they were all under it, 23, right? It would I think take, I can safely say that. Except that again. It would take exceptional, absolutely exceptional talent and character, which would basically be that Oklahoma City Thunder, the team that lost to the Heat. Exactly. That would be it, right? They were all which, under 23 or 23 and under. Yeah. That would, that would be it. That would have been, yeah. So we're talking once in a generation and then, yeah. you know, those guys kind of splintered away. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I've kind of said what locker room guys don't do. I don't think they – you know, help guys make yeah. game-winning shots, but yeah. but you know, maybe they are good in huddles. Maybe they can point something out. Hey, you know, hey man, defense is playing you this way. Maybe go baseline next time you uh, take it to the rim. S- certain things like that, yeah. that that might help. There's absolutely crucial points in in playoff series and and in and in seasons and and you know throughout an NBA season where absolutely these guys can can uh, can help out. I would you know it, it'd be it would be um, intellectually dishonest to say that these guys um, don't do anything that relates to tangible, um, tangible, meaningful uh, things in game and in season. <laughs> yeah. Okay, man. Um, no, I think that's good. All right. So thanks, man. I'll, uh, we'll just uh, farewell everybody. If you have any feedback, please reach out to us uh, at. Bay and Ray please Bob. send. Yeah. And please send um, Jason uh, George Michael's greatest hits. I mean, there's <laughs> going to be three songs right away that you're going to be like, oh, okay, that's George Michael. Okay. Okay. It's funny. I don't know why it's uh, escaping me. All right. Well, yeah. Drop it to us at Bay Heights Pod, at Twitter and Instagram, at Bay Heights Pod at gmail.com. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you all. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. All right. Peace out. Good night, everyone. Your vision, keep the composition. Seen a lot of shame in the game. Seen a lot of pain with the fame.